This is Rocks to Roots, a podcast presented by the Spokane Conservation District. This podcast series is intended to share education and resources related to land management, conservation practices, and celebrate some of the great stewards of our land here in our region. Well, hello. Uh, man, how do you start this usually? <laughs> Hi, oh, listeners. Thanks go. for tuning in to Rocks to Roots. <laughs> Conservation <laughs> conversations from the backyard of the back 40. Oh, man. That is, you do have like a, you usually write like a whole paragraph that when you start. Yeah. Like, and you have like a whole saying. Well, this time around, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm lax. I know. It's, is, yes. You know, you brought this guest to us. Perfect. <laughs> Well, hello. Well, hello, and welcome to uh, Rocks to Root, a conservation conversation. I am the guest host today, and I'm joined by our real host, Hillary. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Brennan. I see you're taking my spot today, but I'm okay with it. Well, I have a very special guest. I have my sister-in-law, my wife's sister, Elisa Kerr, on the podcast. Elisa Kerr is a... the executive director, sorry, of Beavers Northwest. And uh, thank you so much for coming all the way across the state to join us for this podcast. I've I've actually talked about having you on this podcast a lot. And when you, when I found out you were coming here this weekend, I was just like, do you have time? And Hillary, can you give me a special favor to have her on the podcast? So I (laughs) I thank you for taking the time to be here and, uh, and be on the have me take over your podcast. No, I'm excited, you know, um, to get another conservation partner in the building, especially from um, outside of Spokane County to talk about some really cool and innovative things going on in our state. Um, I'm excited. So thank you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Elisa, for coming on. Uh, first, let's let's start. Let's start slow and, and talk. <laughs> start slow. I'm, I don't know why I'm so nervous. Like, I'm actually, like, flustered right now. Like, I'm usually really good at, like, podcasting, and I'm, like... Very, I'm supposed I'm, to be the nervous one. I'm very nervous right If now. you weren't nervous for your sister-in-law, I would be concerned. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's just the, what comes with the respect in the territory of that, sister-in-laws. I feel like, <laughs> like you're, I'm showcasing, like, my, my skills... Mm. And like, I'm like, oh, I'm pod, this is what I do for a living. And now I have to like be on and it, it's actually kind of nerve wracking. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your roles with Beavers Northwest and Snohomish Conservation District? Yeah, definitely. Um, thanks again for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Um, so I'm the executive director of Beavers Northwest and I'm a habitat project coordinator for the Snohomish Conservation District. So got a conservation district connection here too. Um, so at the conservation district, my roles vary a lot. I'm on the habitat team. So I do some riparian planning, you know, planting trees, ripping out blackberry, all of that. And then I also run our native plant sale. Uh, So Hillary and I have already connected around native (laughs) plant sale um, knowledge. And then last but not least, I run our Living with Beavers program, which is a small program at Snohomish Conservation District, but ties in to my other beaver work. Mm. Um, So on the side, or I don't know, I do both jobs pretty much equally, but I also run, as I mentioned, Beavers Northwest. Um, It's a small nonprofit. Our mission is to increase acceptance and understanding of beavers to build healthier and more resilient ecosystems. So a lot of my work, both in the Living with Beavers program at Snohomish Conservation District and at Beavers Northwest, is to help folks learn to live with beavers. We want people to coexist with beavers. We want to keep them on the landscape and have all the benefits that beavers provide be more widespread throughout the region. Well, and I'm so excited that you're here because actually just yesterday, um, our local paper just um, showcased a project that was done um, and facilitated by the Lands Council here in Spokane. So shout out to the Lands Council. Um, And so I'm just really excited to talk to you about Beavers Northwest and the work you're doing at Snohomish and then how we can um, also kind of tie that into what's going on over here on the east side. So um, yeah, excited to have you. Definitely. Beavers are popular everywhere. So even though I'm coming to you from the west side of the state, (laughs) we got some beavers over here on the east side of the state and I grew up here. So I'm really stoked to be able to talk about beavers here in my home area. Yeah, that's awesome. So I'm curious, when um, 
when was Beavers Northwest established? Beavers Northwest was established in 2014 um, and was really small. So our founding director, Ben Dipbrenner, founded the organization while he was finishing up his PhD studying beavers. So he was kind of just doing this as a side project. He was getting folks calling him all the time saying, hey, I've got beavers. What do I do? And he was like, okay, I need an organization to handle this. And then I came on in 2017 and kind of was just the helper. I was a technician. I helped go out and check out properties while he was writing his PhD dissertation. Um, And I started meeting with landowners and just took on more and more responsibility. And then um, in 2019, I took over as the director. He finished up his PhD finally and left and put it all on my shoulders. So (laughs) luckily he's still around as a great mentor, but um, I've taken over the organization and we're really just trying to ramp it up because there's a great need for helping people live with beavers all throughout the region. So do you guys, um, I'm assuming that you primarily work with landowners. Is that correct? Yeah. So we work with landowners and land managers primarily. So private landowners is a big one, but we also work with municipalities or other organizations, you know, um, conservation districts obviously interact with a lot of beavers on projects um, and different nonprofits. So um, kind of the whole gambit, but definitely private landowners are a big part of it. Okay. And are those, is that work done on a voluntary basis or... Do you receive any funding? Yeah, okay. definitely. So um, it, it's a little bit of both. Um, so we do charge fee for service on a lot of our projects for Beavers Northwest and say, hey, we're going to come help you with this project and you're going to pay us to do that. Um, but we also get grant funding to try and do that at a lower cost or provide cost share to landowners so that, you know, these projects can be less expensive and more accessible. Um, but certainly our goal is just to try and keep them as cheap as possible to help incentivize people to, to keep beavers on the landscape rather than trapping them out or getting rid of them before i want to get into it everything into it, i want to go back just a tiny little bit yeah you have a degree in chemical engineering from uw i do um and that doesn't really go hand in hand with conservation how did you get into conservation and working for the the snow snohomish and beavers northwest and i know you're just a little little bit but like how did you like How'd you get into conservation? You know it, but the people don't, Brennan. Exactly. So, um, exactly. Yeah. So I let um, the people know. Yeah, we gotta <laughs> let the people know. Um, I went to UW, uh, left Spokane to go to UW in Seattle, and got a chemical engineering degree. I really liked chemistry in high school, and was like, "Cool, this sounds great." And it turned out to not be a lot of chemistry, and it was not really very fulfilling for me. Mm. As I was working through this degree, it was really difficult, and people just weren't really didn't have the motivation that I wanted to have. And so I got involved with a restoration club at UW and started planting trees and and restoring habitat on the UW campus and fell in love. I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be digging in the dirt every day. This is awesome. Um, And so after I graduated, I joined the Washington Conservation Corps and spent two years in the Washington Conservation Corps. Um, They work throughout the state doing restoration projects, mostly some trail building, forestry, et cetera. But my crew was based in King County and we did a lot of restoration work. And there were days where we were on restoration projects and a beaver would have moved in and the project manager says, oh my gosh, we got to take that beaver dam out. So I put on my chest waders and climbed in and started tearing out these beaver dams. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. And I'm obsessed. And so I met the folks at Beavers Northwest while I was um, fulfilling my terms with WCC and AmeriCorps program. And um, I just fell in love. And I told Ben, who I met at the time, the founding director of Beavers Northwest, I said, Ben, I love this. Like, can I have a job? And he said, yeah, give me a call when you're done. And so I did and and joined Beavers Northwest after that and um, had an absolute blast. So I've been with them since then and just um, continued to love pulling on my chest waders and climbing into a beaver pond and getting dirty. Um, It's really, really fun. So that's how I fell into this uh, whole career. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, yeah, chemical engineering is just such a, a fascinating degree, first of all. Um, and yeah, like Brennan said, that connection with chemical engineering to conservation can be, you know, a little diluted. Yeah. <laughs> but would you say that um, part of that degree, I know that there's a lot of creativity and innovation that, you know, that degree promotes. So do you think that that has also played a role in your jobs now? Yeah, I think to some degree. And certainly I love the connection. Folks call beavers ecosystem engineers. So it is funny when I tell people like, oh, yeah, well, actually I got an engineering degree. So like I'm practically a beaver. Um, and and I think that there is certainly that creativity connection. There's a lot of problem solving that goes along with working with beavers. Um, they're always doing different funky things. So um Yeah, there's some things I took away from that degree, certainly, uh, even if I don't stay in that same topic area. (laughs) (laughs) 
So you just mentioned that the mission of Beavers Northwest is to increase acceptance and understanding of beavers to support healthier and more resilient ecosystems. So can you tell us a little bit of bit uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that and kind of the broad scope of all of those areas that you work in? Definitely. Yeah. So we, we work um, to accomplish that through essentially five pillars of work. So the big ones that we have done for the last several years are technical assistance, directly speaking with landowners about how to deal with beavers on their property when beavers are, you know, wreaking havoc on what you're expecting in your ecosystem. So direct technical assistance is one. We do a lot of outreach and education where we take folks out on nature walks, um, you know, get them to see beavers in the wild, just tell them more about why beavers are important, et cetera. Um, we do field trips and all that. And then we also do technical training and consultation. So we work with organizations to try and build up more folks who can do this technical assistance work and that they understand the techniques for living with beavers and this coexistence infrastructure. So we like to train folks up on that to get them going and, and so that we're not the only ones in the game in the area doing this. Mm-hmm. And then we're really trying to break into the fields of research and restoration more and more because these are areas where we see a lot of opportunity for, you know, more beaver knowledge. We want to research, you know, what's going on with fish passage when we put these coexistence devices into a beaver dam. We want to research, you know, more about all of this coexistence infrastructure. How do we protect trees in the most cost-effective way? Um, And then, of course, restoration is a big one. So the Lands Council article you mentioned, they put in a beaver dam analog, and Mm -hmm. they're so hot right now. Everybody loves (laughs) beaver dam analogs. We all want to copy beavers and use them for restoration. Mm -hmm. So how can we as an organization help people do that and help them figure out how to plan for beavers? We know we have beavers in Washington State. They show up on a ton of our restoration projects, and often that's that's a nightmare when it should be like a blessing. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh my gosh, we've got beavers. This is awesome. They're going to help us restore the habitat. But when you've got really specific goals around restoration and, you know, plant survival or the amount of water on the landscape, it's like, oh my gosh, beavers are ruining it. But really they're a partner and how can we work with them? So that's kind of the broad scope of everything we do. Um, But again, the big piece is this technical assistance and coexistence infrastructure that we're helping folks put in on their properties. What's the range of Beavers Northwest? I know you got the the Northwest in the name uh, and you're based out of Western Washington near Seattle, Mm -hmm. but uh, where is the job taking you? Yeah, so most of our work is centered around the Seattle area. So mm-hmm. we've done a lot of work in King and Snohomish County, all the way down to Olympia and Thurston County, and all the way up to Bellingham and Whatcom County. Um, but we've also gone east. So I worked with the Metau Beaver Project. They do a lot of relocation in the Metau Valley. Mm-hmm. So we helped them install their first coexistence device. And then I've gone as far east as Montana. So we helped a program get started in Montana. And that's part of that technical training, right? These folks in Montana wanted to be able to do this work and needed help getting their program off the ground. So that was a really cool opportunity to be able to travel and just help people learn about how to do this um, kind of stuff. Are there, I mean, I can't imagine there's a ton of people out there that are doing what you're doing. Do you know of many other conservationists or other groups that are doing what you're doing? Yeah. So the beaver world is very small. Um, I got the opportunity to go to the state of the beaver conference in 2019 uh, down in Oregon. And that's where I met a like the 200 people in the U.S. that do this work. And it was really awesome and exciting. Um, So there are pockets. There's a really big program in um, New England and like the Massachusetts area. There's some folks that do a lot of beaver work there. Um, There's some folks down in California, some folks in Virginia, and then really kind of the West Northwest. We're the only, you know, shop in the game. But there are folks doing different things like BDAs, like relocation. But in Mm. terms of the coexistence work, um, we're kind of all that is here in the Northwest. So beavers are not non-invasive, right? They're from North America. Great question. Yeah, there is. So the beaver we have around here is called the North American beaver, Castor canadensis, and they um, occupy pretty much all of North America or historically have Mm. um, pretty much anywhere where there's water and woody vegetation and nice low gradient streams. So not really high in the steep mountains where the streams are like rushing down. Mm -hmm. But if you've got kind of low gradient streams, you've got water and you've got woody vegetation, you've got habitat that can support beavers. So kind of their range extends all the way up essentially until you get to the tundra where you lose water and woody vegetation and all the way down to like the deserts of Mexico where again, you lose water and woody vegetation. Mm -hmm. But yeah, all throughout. So our our state is flush with those those places where Mm -hmm. beavers can uh, live. Definitely, yeah. So, so, uh, So you have some property land. What happens when a beaver decides to move in? Like what should you as a 
homeowner or landowner do? Yeah, I think you should appreciate it and enjoy it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> beavers, I, like I said, are ecosystem engineers. So when they move in, essentially what they're doing is they're building dams. And their goal in building these dams is to back up water and create more flooded area for themselves. They want a big pond. Um, beavers are really awkward on land. They have these big webbed feet. They're really big animals, upwards of like 60 pounds as mm. an average adult. And um, so when they move on land, they're just like so awkward and waddling. But the more water they have, the better they are at swimming around and having more access to food and, you know, being able to be safe from predators. So they build these dams, they flood an area. And then um, if you are a homeowner who or a landowner who then has infrastructure next to the waterways, that's where you kind of start to panic, yeah. right? So essentially what, what's happened is in North America, we had beavers probably on every mile of stream. There's estimates of upwards of 400 million beavers across North America. Um, but then the fur trade hit and beavers were extirpated from most of North America. So we were down to probably around only about 9 million. Mm. So, you know, population estimates are rough. So these are rough numbers, but you can, you know, like huge reduction. And in that time, then white folks moved across the U S and settled this area. And we moved into all these stream corridors mm. where beavers had been removed from. So we built homes, roads, agricultural infrastructure, all along these stream corridors. Like, wow, this is just so beautiful. <laughs> and then beavers come along as they're, you know, returning in numbers and recolonizing these areas themselves and they move in and they're just like wow this is so beautiful too and then that's just inherently in conflict because beavers build their dams flood out an area and then that tends to impact our homes our roads you know our agricultural fields that are right along these floodplains and waterways so that's when folks kind of call us and they say hey we've got a beaver what do we do it's starting to flood my road or my driveway or you know getting close to my septic field drain field mm. and so um our main goal is then we come in and help consult with them and say okay where can this water go? We want to compromise with the beavers. We want the beavers to be able to have a pond where they feel comfortable and happy and, you know, have access to mm -hmm. food. But we don't want your home or road or field to be flooding. So most of our coexistence devices help manage flooding by essentially limiting the extent that that pond can go. Mm. Um, we were putting in devices such as pond levelers, which are essentially a pipe through the dam, or notch exclusion fences, which is where we remove a portion of the dam and then build a fence to exclude beavers from that. Mm. So then we can kind of keep the pond at a certain level. We're not bringing it back down to that tiny stream that your house was built next to, but we are just um, you know, compromising with the beaver. We're letting the beaver have a little bit and making sure that our human infrastructure is still intact. Are the beavers usually cool with that? You know, that's a great question, <laughs> Brennan. Um, they can be. Um, it really depends. I think it it's depends on your level of compromise. You know, we get landowners that say, well, this just used to be a stream and it was only two feet wide and that's what I want back. And it's like, well, then the beavers are going to be upset and they're not going to like that. And so it, it's, like I said, it's a real compromise. And I think typically as long as you're giving the beavers enough, right? That's the most important part is like the beavers need space and they need a ponded area. So you can't bring it back down to that two foot wide stream. Mm. But if you can give them a pond, they're totally happy and we'll just live their lives. <laughs> what are some like other, other than flooding, what are other signs that you might have beavers on your land? Yeah. So the, a big one is um, the chewed trees. So beavers are, um, you know, well known for their big chomping teeth that just mow down trees. And so you'll see, you know, trees being felled um, and that chew marks on the trees. Um, and that's a big sign, like kind of the first sign, right? Beavers need to chew trees before they're building a dam. Right. Often they might build them out of grass or mud, but they usually need some sticks in there too. So looking for those chewed trees is a big sign. And a lot of folks worry about chewed trees as well. And that one's a really easy problem to fix when you have beavers. Um, beavers are what are known as choosy generalist herbivores. So they're, they eat plants and that's part of why they're chewing down trees and they're generalists. So they'll eat just about anything, but they're choosy, which means they have specific things they like more than others. So they really like like cottonwoods and willows and apple trees. Mm. So a lot of times folks go, no, all my precious apple trees are being chewed by beavers. Um, but you can protect them by putting fencing around the trees um, or painting the trees with a sand and paint mixture, kind of a textural repellent so that mm. beavers don't really like chewing on it anymore. Yeah. Um, so protecting trees is another big 
thing that we do to help people live with beavers. Sometimes it's like, well, we've got plenty of land. We don't care if they have a big pond, but we want our big precious apple tree or our big cottonwood to stay around. Yeah. Um, so fencing those trees to protect them from beavers is another big thing that we do. So for the most part, when you're working with landowners that have beavers on their property, do you do you try to keep those beavers still like in that location or do you sometimes have to move them from their from that habitat or yeah good question I think um our goal is to keep beavers there mm-hmm. beavers have chosen this spot for a reason um you know that it's the spot they wanted to live in and what we often tell folks is that you know you can remove those beavers you can relocate them or trap them out um but if they're if this has been identified as good beaver habitat by one beaver another beaver is likely to think the same thing mm-hmm. so it, it's kind of a temporary solution to remove beavers um you know whether you're relocating them or lethally removing them it's always temporary because we are seeing just more and more beavers on the landscape and they are filling in all those areas that are like, you know, they're considering good habitat. Mm. So if your land has been chosen by a beaver, you can assume it will be chosen again. So we often encourage folks to like work with the beaver that you know, right? They've chosen this spot to build. You know where they're building. We can put a device on that dam. We can address the concern. But if you get rid of that beaver and let a new beaver come in, who knows, they might build just a little bit further downstream and maybe have worse impacts or, you know, they might do something even crazier. So we're always trying to get folks to live with those beavers where they're at. But certainly there are situations where it's just not possible. You know, we as people have so changed our landscape. We've changed so many of our waterways. We've, you know, put things in weird places. And there are times where it's just like, okay, this is just not good beaver habitat. Mm-hmm. And this beaver has made a poor decision and it's time to get it out of there. So we do work, we don't do relocations ourselves, but we work with a lot of partners who do. So the Tulalip tribes um, over in Western Washington, they have a really great beaver relocation program where they take beavers from the lowlands that are causing conflicts and move them up into the mountains, into the upper watersheds where they could do really great habitat restoration work, um, but don't cause so many problems. So we do a lot of um, joint work with the Tulalip tribes because we both kind of cover similar regions but they do the relocation and we do the coexistence. So um, their program is really awesome. Cool. I have um, a general beaver question. Great. How long, what is the average lifespan of a beaver? Beavers live about 10 to 15 years. Okay. Um, and they do, they live in family groups. So, um, you know, typically you'll have a beaver couple that occupies an area and then they'll have one to three kits every year. And then those kits stay with them until they're two years old. So those, you know, one-year-old kits and then the one and a half and two-year-old kits are staying around helping take care of the new litter of kits. They're also helping maintain the dams and the lodges. Um, so if you have a beaver family on your property, you may have upwards of, you know, five, six, seven, eight beavers living there if they've been there for a few years. And do they move around a bit or if like they have been established in a location, they've, you know, built a, their beaver dam and had their kits um do they stay there or do they like move on eventually after their work has been done? <laughs> yeah, it, it kind of varies. It depends a little bit on the habitat. So often they'll stay get, if they have, um, you know, good food availability, if they have a good spot to be, if there's not like pressure from predators or, you know, people trying to bug them. So they'll stay if they have all of that, but the juveniles will disperse. So those two-year-olds essentially get kicked out or decide to move on. And we call them like teenage beavers, right? They're the kids just leaving home <laughs> for the first time. And they're the ones that often, like if you have a new beaver that's moved into a really weird spot, we're like, Ooh, it's probably a juvenile, like a teenage Mm -hmm. beaver who just doesn't really know. They're just testing out. They found a spot. It's their first time away from mom and dad. And they're like, is this a good spot? Let me try. And they'll build a dam and it'll be kind of funky and they'll often move on. So you'll get these, you know, juveniles dispersing, trying to find new habitat that may or may not stick to a certain habitat. But if you've got a family of beavers that has chosen a spot and there's plenty of willows for them to chew on and plenty of other vegetation, they'll probably stick around for a long time. And there's even... Like I've heard of the largest beaver dam in the world that was like identified in um, like the remote regions of Canada. And it's just like somebody saw it on aerial imagery and it's like a mile long dam that's probably been there for a hundred years or more. And so like, you know, beavers have continuously occupied that and probably juveniles took it over from their parents as they passed away. And like, it's just been continuously occupied for so long and it's grown like gigantic. So certainly there are, places where beavers will stay for a long time. Um, but there are places where they might abandon it for one reason or another, you know, it kind of depends. Um, some people stay in a home for a really long time and some of them move all the time. So, Mm -hmm. 
Well, um, you've touched on just a few of the important reasons why beavers um, are great, but tell us a little bit more about why they are so important to our ecosystem. Definitely. Yeah, this is the key question here, Hillary. (laughs) Um, So beavers are not just cute and fuzzy and like fun to look at. They're because they're ecosystem engineers, they're really changing the habitat they live in, right? They're taking that two foot wide stream building a dam, making this big pond, changing the vegetation structure, changing the water availability. And so that really builds a lot of habitat for a lot of different creatures. Many animals will move in, fish will move in, bugs will move in, the plant community will change. You'll see kind of just a different habitat coming around. And so they're kind of these nice like oases in these stream corridors where all of a sudden it's really productive. It's got, you know, all this other food and and things available for all the animals. Um, But it's also really great just in general for our ecosystems, not just as habitat, but um, they help to store water. So, you know, especially in the face of climate change, beavers have become kind of this poster child for like, wow, what can we do to like, you know, keep water on the landscape. We're seeing drier summers. We're seeing more drought, Mm. but beavers are storing that water. And then it kind of slowly trickles through their dam. Their dams aren't like these big concrete monstrosities that we as people build. They're like made out of mud and sticks, right? (laughs) So like water trickles through and we got water supply throughout the year. Um, They're also pushing water into the ground. So recharging our groundwater, particularly important for a place like Spokane with an aquifer, right? We want that water back in the ground. Um, And then they're also improving water quality. So slowing that water down, you know, when it's a straight stream channel, it just like cruises through. But if the dam is there, it slows the water down, allows sediment to settle out. So the water is not as turbid. It helps to um, alleviate, you know, um, phosphorus and nitrogen levels because it's slowing that water down. All of the bacteria and things, the microorganisms in the pond are munching on all of those extra nutrients, all the plant, the whole plant community is helping soak that up. So improvements to water quality are huge. Um, What else am I forgetting? I mean, beavers are just great all around. So, you know, all of this ecosystem engineering is all about um, all the benefits that they have to the ecosystem around us. Where have you seen like a place where, beavers have came in and really have helped the, the ecosystem like like firsthand. Yeah. Like a, like a story. Definitely. There's there's quite a few <laughs> that we work on. Um, you know, the urban environment is really tough, but I think the rural environment is where we see beavers have a little more room to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so we work on a restoration site that was installed by King County um, in Enumclaw, so just kind of south of Seattle, the south end of King County. Um, and it was this ditch through an old, um, you know, agricultural drainage area. And King County re-meandered the stream. So they took this straightened stream and created all these bends and curves and dug out all these little ponds for juvenile fish habitat because juvenile fish love ponded water. They need these deep water areas to live. And then King County planted tens of thousands of willows and just let it go. Um, And beavers moved in immediately and really changed that ecosystem. So already this was something that they were restoring a channel. You know, it had gone from really heavily degraded to a little bit less degraded and, and something that they were looking for better habitat But beavers moved in and have totally flooded out everything. They've changed the whole structure of that area. What it's done is, you know, already these backwater ponds were dug out, but they've built dams at them and extended the um, area that those ponds cover. They've created all these new channels now because Mm. as the water is trying to find new places to flow, it flows around the dams and all over this whole um, restoration site. And so we go out there a lot because this is really flat, former agricultural land. And as soon as the beavers built a dam, it flooded a huge area which is awesome unless you're the landowner who neighbors that property (laughs) so what we've done is we've got um, some pond levelers these devices that help manage flooding on this site and we monitor them but it's just really amazing to see that habitat change over time and see how you know already the beavers have just created a whole new ecosystem in this area and it's like wetlands everywhere and water flowing in weird places and all kinds of wildlife. We had some wildlife cameras set up there and it was just amazing to see the usage of different things that moved in even just a year after this project went in and, you know, a year after the beavers had been there and all these animals. We we faced a wildlife camera at the beaver dam trying to like catch videos of beavers and we caught videos of every species of wildlife you could ever imagine. You know, there were like little martens and minks and um, there were otters and coyotes and um, all kinds of birds and waterfowl. And and it was just like really impressive to see all this wildlife utilizing the habitat that beavers have created. Mm. So 
it's really special. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. Well, and so um, we mentioned it a little bit, but yeah, like our local lands council just um, went and installed a, uh, excuse me, a beaver dam analogs, aka BDAs. And so I've been doing a lot of um, learning and research about biomimicry and nature, just letting nature do its work. And obviously beavers are part of nature. They're here. So talk to us a little bit more about these BDAs. And um, like you said, they're kind of like a hot topic subject right now. Definitely. And so, um, yeah, just kind of the growth of the popularity of these BDAs and what you're seeing um, the results from these BDAs and these yeah, projects. Definitely. So I think beaver dam analogs, what, what's happened is that folks have realized, okay, what beavers do is great. It's important. It helps our ecosystems on many levels. And what we've seen is, like I said, beavers have been extirpated from a lot of this area. So they haven't had the chance to colonize a lot of places where they could do a lot of good work. And a lot of places have been so heavily degraded by the absence of beavers or by human land use that they're maybe not even good beaver habitat anymore and beavers wouldn't choose to go there. So beaver dam analogs are this great restoration tool where we go in and say, okay, I'm going to be a beaver. I like, this is my dream come true. I'm going to build a dam. This is awesome. It's like everything that kids have done in the sandbox where you like try and build dams and like do your own thing. So um, essentially there are these structures where you put a bunch of posts in the stream channel, fill it in with branches and, you know, willows and other shrubby material and create this kind of semi-permeable dam that holds back some water and does a lot of things that a beaver dam does, you know, holding onto that water, storing that water, slowing it down, creating great habitat for fish and wildlife. And so folks are doing this all across at least Western North America, where we really need that water storage and mm -hmm. that, that capacity for water. And, um, you know, it's, it's awesome because it's like, okay, we get it. Beavers are cool. Let's try and do it. And what I've seen is the, the way that these are most successful is when then beavers take them over. Over, okay. Right. We as people are not great at building a beaver dam. We like can do our best and we do fine. But it's like we're not there every day. Beavers are out every night, like fixing their dam, you know, making it better, building it larger, uh, reacting to the way the ecosystem changes. And so when we build them, it's great. And it does a little bit. But what really helps is when beavers come in and take it over and say, OK, thank you. I'll try this. <laughs> and they they start maintaining them and turning them into a beaver dam. And so that's where I think they have the most power, particularly in places like Western Washington. We have so many beavers on the landscape. And if you can just encourage beavers to be there, they'll do the work for you. And so these beaver dam analogs are a way to help encourage beavers. You know, maybe it's a stream that's so heavily incised and cut deeply that beavers just have a hard time building building a dam there, or maybe you don't have enough vegetation for beavers to, um, you know, colonize that area and build a dam there. So if we can encourage them by building one for them, beavers are opportunistic and they take advantage of things that are easy to build on. So they'll take advantage of a fallen log or a place where your stream naturally constricts. So if we build a beaver dam analog, beavers will take advantage of that really quickly. So I think they're an awesome restoration tool to encourage beavers into areas for sure. I should have asked this question very early on, but <laughs> what is the ultimate goal of a beaver when they're creating a dam? Is it just a better place for them to live? Basically, Yeah, definitely. It's getting... all about the better place for them to live, more area to swim, more yeah. access to okay. food. Um, and then often the, you know, the dam is creating that pond and then that's where they'll build their home is in that pond. So they're not living in the dam. They'll often build another structure like a lodge, kind of that classic hut you see in the middle of a pond. Mm. Um, and that's where they'll live or they'll burrow into a bank and live somewhere in the pond. But always the feature of where they like to live is that it usually has an underwater entrance and then enters into like a dry chamber. So again, like keeping them safe from predators, right? Mm -hmm. It's easier for them to get in there than it is for like a wolf to swim into a beaver lodge. Mm -hmm. So one of the topics that's come up a lot is like water storage, beavers, and like how they keep the water conservation on the land, yeah. like keep it there. But like with global warming, mm -hmm. that's changed a lot of our landscape. So like how has that affected beavers and like where they live? Definitely. I would say um, beavers are really resilient. <laughs> so beavers live anywhere. I've seen them living in like these little nasty stormwater ponds that are taking runoff from the highway. Like they're, they're like, <laughs> they're really just like thriving wherever they are. Mm. Um, and so climate change, I would say, um, you know, is not 
impacting beavers as much as it is other species that are more sensitive to changes in their environment. Mm -hmm. But what it has done is it's really um, brought beavers to the forefront because of their ability to help us mitigate climate Mm -hmm. change, right? So that water storage is huge. Like I mentioned for drought, Um, uh, our founding director, Ben Dipbrenner, was looking at um, snowpack loss in uh, the Cascade Mountains, which provide much of the water for Western Washington and a lot of Eastern Washington as well. Um, And, you know, we're anticipated with climate change projections to lose most of that snowpack, which is going to be a huge impact on our our hydrology and our waterways. So Ben was looking at, can beavers um, be utilized as a tool to store water high in the upper watersheds and like kind of slowly release that water Mm. similar to our snowpack? The sad news is that they cannot, there is no way they can replace our snowpack. Our snowpack is huge. It's going to be a huge loss to lose that. But beavers are one piece of the puzzle in helping us like continue to store water on the landscape and help to kind of keep those losses lower. Um, but, you know, they're not the be all end all of climate change, you know, adaptation or anything. Um, but the other good news too, is that there's been some really great research recently in um, beavers as um, helping to provide these kind of oases in fire. So they provide resilience for fire. They provide, um, you know, areas for other creatures to take refuge because as a fire rages through an ecosystem, it gets to this really wet beaver pond. And that's where, uh, you know, other animals can come hide and it, it, it stays green even after a big fire and tends to be greener shortly after the fire as mm. things start to regrow. So there are these really great refuges for um, wildlife in our fire ravaged ecosystems. That's cool. That's really, I was, uh, that was something I was thinking about was like the fires that we've been having, like how that's affected beavers as well. But has there been an increase in population of beavers? Like over the, like as conservation, as conservations come to the forefront in our society, like has it, increase? Has it gotten better? Yeah, definitely. You know, I think uh, obviously beavers were, you know, pretty severely trapped and population was low Mm -hmm. uh, post fur trade and, you know, early colonization. And and what we've seen is that anecdotally, we're seeing more and more beavers on the landscape. It's Mm -hmm. really... We don't have any great population estimates for beavers currently. They're they're rodents. You know, they're hard to count. There's a lot of them. Right. What we do know is they're doing fine. Um, but we are anecdotally seeing more and more. And um, it does seem like we've, we've got these beavers just kind of thriving. And what's also been a, a change is that in, in Washington in particular, um, our trapping laws changed in the early 2000s. So previously, you know, you had to get a trapping license. You still do if you want to trap beavers. But you could use any kind of trap you want. And in 2001, they really regulated what kinds of traps you can use to trap beavers. So you cannot use these body gripping traps that just grab beavers and kill on impact. You have to use live traps and return and kill a beaver. So that resulted in a huge drop off in just recreational harvest of beavers. Like nobody wants to go stare a beaver in the eye and shoot it, right? Like, so... um, Certainly there's been a lot less trapping and then also just a greater awareness of beavers as, you know, an important part of the ecosystem. And so we certainly, you know, most of the calls that we get at Beavers Northwest are people that are looking for an alternative. You're still allowed to trap beavers and kill them, remove them if they're a nuisance um, or considered a nuisance. And but we get calls from people that are like, is there another option? What can I do besides killing beavers? Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I see them on my landscape. They're causing me problems that, you know, but I want, I want to live with them. And and how do we do that? So we get all these folks that just are, that's what they want, right? I'm not talking to the people that are like, I hate beavers and this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I'm talking to the people that have some sympathy yeah, (laughs) or have, you know, just an understanding of how great ecosystems are when beavers are there. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, do you, do you by chance know what the population of beavers are just here in Spokane County? I do not know, um, but I do know there are beavers here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I come back quite often. This is where my family lives. Um, and so I'm here often and I've seen a lot of beaver chew down at Riverfront Park. Mm-hmm. So all along the Spokane River, I think you could assume there's beavers all along the Spokane River. Um, I did do a quick check on iNaturalist, which is where I go to see where beavers are when I'm in a new place. <laughs> um, and there are some at the Turnbull Wildlife refuge. Um, I'm really curious. I would assume they would be in the little Spokane mm-hmm. river corridor, um, but there were no sightings on iNaturalist. So call really? to action, go check out that and log your sightings on iNaturalist oh. so that I can better track beavers in Spokane County. <laughs> yeah. But I, I mean, I would assume they're there. Just nobody's mm-hmm. logged it on iNaturalist. I would be, I'd be confused 
curious to know if there'd be mini beavers in like Waikiki Springs because like that's like a very can get flooded easily and like sure. and I it just seems like a place that beavers would thrive. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I have a question because you just um, listed just so many ways that the beavers. Um, help and encourage a better ecosystem. Yeah. And you also mentioned fire resiliency. And so for us as a conservation district, I'm just curious, like what are the questions that we should be asking on projects um, that might spark, you know, a better way or more innovative way to, um, you know, invite beavers into a project or get them involved in, you know, cause you just, kind of put out a whole list there. It's not just right parenting. Yeah. There. So what are some of those questions that we should ask? Yeah, I think, you know, as you're planning a project where you, you know, want beavers to be, I think the biggest question in given our ecosystem and our landscape, you know, that's been highly modified is, is what is the impact going to be beyond what we want, mm-hmm. right? Like we want beavers here. That's great. But is there a house that's just a hundred feet away that's maybe not on our property, but is on somebody else's? Are we going to impact that? And what do we need to do to adaptively manage when beavers move in and those people call us complaining, mm-hmm. right? right? So I think that, you know, that's what happens a lot as we get kind of almost neighbor disputes, right? Where it's like, okay, well, beavers moved into my property and I love it, but my neighbor hates it because now it's starting to impact their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So I think being a good neighbor and just kind of thinking about what are the wider impacts beyond just our small restoration site. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really big one. And then what I often hear too is, you know, there's a lot of um, performance evaluation measures when people are doing restoration projects or working to restore an ecosystem and really thinking about which ones of those are critical for showing that this is good habitat. You know, a lot of people have plant survival metrics and a beaver moves in, mows down some of your plants or floods out a small area of your, your restoration project. And it's like, well, it's actually really good habitat, but we're not meeting our performance standards because we said we would have, you know, 800 willows and now we only have 500 because the beavers flooded some and ate some, (laughs) but like, it's still really good habitat. So is that really a good performance measure? Probably not, you know, like that water storage is better that, you know, that access to the ecosystem is better. So, um, I think reevaluating what our performance metrics are is, is big Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I think too, if, you know, as a conservation district, speaking with landowners that may be encountering beavers, I think it's really important to just think about, um, you know, often we get calls and people just go, there's a beaver. What's I'm, I'm freaking out. What's, what should I do? And it's like, okay, well, what's the problem? Well, it's just, it's changed. Everything has changed. It's not no longer a two foot wide stream. It's a big pond. And it's like, okay, what's the problem? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I think it's really diving down and getting to a lot of people, um, just see these impacts from beavers and they freak out. It's like, oh my gosh, everything's changed. But, but thinking about that change is a good thing. And like messy ecosystems are healthy ecosystems. And that's right. like, a, a hard to get across because we're <laughs> like, well, it should just be like a pretty little stream. But a messy ecosystem is the one where so much fish and wildlife are going to be way happier. Um, so embracing that, I think, is is really big and helping people really drill down to, is there a problem here or are, how are we just seeing changes? And change can be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I have one more question. Um, so with these, um, back to the BDAs. So we also talked mm-hmm. about how these are helping with... Um, improving water quality. So it's like acting as a filter for catching things and lowering phosphorus levels and stuff. Um, So I'm curious, have you worked on a project or do you know, like what are the results that um, do come out of, you know, either installing these or seeing an actual beaver dam and the water quality, how it improves after those are established. Yeah. You know, we haven't directly measured water quality changes. I'll be really interested to see with this BDA project. I assume they're going to do some of that, Mm -hmm. but really the the benefit is that slowing down of water. Mm -hmm. So it's less, to me, it's less thinking about the dam or the beaver dam analog as a filter and more thinking about the wetland that it creates as being your filter. Okay. Right. So we're creating this big wetland. We're slowing that water down. It allows time for nutrients and sediment to settle out and it allows more microorganisms to live there. It allows more plants, more animals that are going to help clean up that water, right? Mm -hmm. So really it's those microorganisms doing the work Mm -hmm. that are living in this slow water habitat where they can really just munch on all those excess nutrients. Um, So that's a big piece of it. And then the plant community is big too, right? The plants are going to uptake your nutrients. So the more 
good plants you have around the edge of your wetland, um, the more that they're going to soak up some of that phosphorus or nitrogen too. Awesome. Bringing it back to Spokane, and I know we did talked about this a little bit with iNaturalist. Is it that? Is that the yeah. app called? Mm-hmm. Do you know of any place someone could observe like a busy a busy beaver in Spokane? Uh, you know, I I don't. Um, I have a lot of good recommendations if you come to Seattle. There's a lot of great <laughs> urban beavers. But um, I do think, you know, obviously they're pretty active along the Spokane River yep. corridor. So I think that's um, really where I would look. And I, I do think I encourage people to go look in these smaller areas. So like the Spokane River is big, right? Beavers aren't really building dams on big rivers because they can't. It gets blown out. It's not like they're able to. You know, mm-hmm. there's too much power behind that river. Yeah. But if you think about other smaller streams that maybe feed into the Spokane River or, you know, the Little Spokane, like those are areas where I would go and, and look for more beavers. Um, again, they really like that low gradient, kind of a wide valley. They like woody vegetation. Um, and my other recommendation is if you really want to see beavers, your best chance is to go at dawn or dusk. Mm-hmm. Beavers are, are nocturnal. So um, the best time to see them, or they're typically nocturnal, the best time to see them is um, dawn and dusk. There are a few beaver colonies that just are like, I don't know, it's like some people are night owls, some beavers like to come out during the day. So there's a few like wild opportunities where it's just like, okay, we know this colony likes to be out during the day and we'll go see them. But I think uh, like a dawn walk or a dusk walk is when I've had the best luck seeing beavers in some of the sites in Seattle. If someone wanted to learn even more about beavers, is there a good book or documentary they could uh, that you'd recommend? Yeah, there is. In fact, um, there's a great book called Eager, uh, written by Ben Goldfarb, who actually lives in Spokane, a oh. little Spokane hometown hero here. Um, so he wrote a really great book called Eager. Um, it's one of the best like nature writing books I've ever read. Um, and I read it when it came out a few years ago and I learned a ton about beavers to help inform my job that I'd already been working in for a few years. So I highly recommend it covers like a lot of great history. It covers a lot of the stuff we've talked about today, the benefits of beavers and it covers, you know, coexistence and relocation. Um, and it'll really turn you into a beaver believer for sure. <laughs> I remember right in 2020, it was like March of 2020, I, um, they were releasing a documentary mm. and me and my wife were going to go down to the magic lantern and, and see this documentary. I think Ben was going to be there yeah. and, but then COVID happened. It was like that Classic. same, same week. Um, is there a documentary? There is. Yeah. There's a documentary called Beaver Believers. Oh, okay. um, and I'm not sure of the best way to view it now. I think it was still in early 2020. It was still kind of on the film festival circuit. Okay. So it wasn't like, you know, available on one of your streaming services, but mm. um, you might be able to find it now since we it's further out. But Beaver Believers is a great one. There's other great documentaries too. You know, PBS has done a few that are fun. Um, there's a, you know, really great video called Fur for the Future, which is from 1950s Idaho fishing game where they show um, beavers being relocated by airplane and they parachuted beavers into these remote mountain areas. So highly recommend checking that out. Yeah, definitely have to watch that. Yeah. It's like a really interesting exercise too. in like the different conservation goals and how they've changed you like, like in 1950s, it was like, we're putting these beavers out here so we can have more fur. And it's like, Oh, okay. It's not for habitat, but it is now, you know, like that's why we're moving beavers now is for the habitat mm. benefits. Um, but yeah, watching them be parachuted into these sites uh, is pretty wild. And they had like a really high success rate. So highly oh recommend checking that out. Goodness gracious. That is just <laughs> so interesting. And then of course, you know, Beavers Northwest has a great website, beaversnw.org, where we've got lots of info about beavers if you're really curious um, and can check that out. Um, and lots of great resources out there. Um, there's a pretty big beaver community of people that love them and, and believe in them. So uh, certainly a lot of info out there. Speaking of supporters and friends uh, that you can find out, like who are some of the people that you work with at Beavers Northwest? Yeah, I would say one of our big partners is the Tulalip tribes, like I mentioned, that do their relocation program. Um, so we we work with them quite often. Um, and then we work with quite a few local municipalities as well. So, um, you know, the city of Bellevue, the city of Kirkland, and the city of Seattle all work with us um, trying to manage beavers in their urban ecosystems um, which is really challenging, as you might imagine. Um, so we we love working with municipalities like that. And then, of course, the conservation districts are always a really big partner. So Snohomish Conservation District has their own Living with Beavers program uh, that I help run. Um, and so we, you know, help serve landowners that have beaver concerns in the Snohomish Conservation District area, um, which is awesome. So is that like, so someone will call into the 
conservation district and say, hey, I have beavers, and then you go out and like do a do a exactly. That's yeah. what my job looks like, both at Beavers Northwest and at Snohomish Conservation District. Because gotcha. I just get calls and people say, hey, I'm worried about these beavers. And then I go check it out. I'm a little bit like a people beaver therapist. Like I, mm. a lot of times it's just talking about like, oh, change is okay. <laughs> we can deal with that. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, helping install devices. Like I said, mm. like trying to to deal with that. So Hillary, do, does the Spokane Conservation have any like pest like type of? Brennan, they're not pests. Not pests. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean pests. Like do they have, do we have anything like that here? Like I know we have Firewise, like we have similar programs, but like, do we have anything that in regards to animals? Yeah, you know, we do not currently. Um, I was talking to our riparian coordinator, um, Lindsay, uh, right before this and just kind of asked, you know, I know that we haven't necessarily had any projects that we just have had the opportunity to work with, um, like per se beavers on, um, but definitely open to it. I mean, it's, they're a great resource, um, you know, great things that can come out of it, great new habitat um, restorations. So we're definitely open to it, but currently we do not. Yeah. yeah and I know the Lands Council in the past has done some beaver right. work and helping landowners, not only doing the BDAs, but helping landowners live with beavers. So um, yes. certainly, you know, there's resources out there for yep. folks in Spokane too. Yeah. And I'm loving this episode because it's totally going to prompt a great follow up with the Lands Council. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> um, I know that, I mean, I, I haven't seen many beavers in Spokane, but I n- have seen a lot of marmots. Mm. Are there any, I mean, I, I imagine they're somewhat related, but do you, can you, you probably can't, can you speak on that yeah, at all? At probably. All? I assume that marmots are rodents as well. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not like a, a rodent expert, I'm yeah. really a beaver expert, right, but no, um, yeah. I think they're both rodents um, and beavers are the biggest rodent we have in North America okay. and they're the second biggest rodent in the world. Mm. So, um, you know, beavers are just like, and, and, and their impact is like outsized, right? Like a marmot is just like running around in the rocks and like, that's great. They're important. Beavers are ecosystem engineers and are like this keystone species. And like, that's really unique. Like every species has their role and every species is important, but like beavers have again, this outsized impact, which is why we have a whole organization, you know, we're beavers Northwest, not marmots Northwest. (laughs) Right. No, I, I, I see that. I just like, I was just curious. Like, I, I, I'm now seeing the importance. I mean, it, they build stuff. Like, yeah. you don't see deers out there building anything for us. No, lazy deer. Like, <laughs> come on. Um, Somebody's going to pop up with a deer's um, well, this has just been such a fascinating, um, I have a way bigger respect for beavers. I mean, than just being an OSU grad, my dad was a Cooley Dam beaver grad, but nice. the, this just brings a whole another respect to what they do for our ecosystems and working with them. And I love your message. A messy ecosystem is a thriving ecosystem. So that is a great message. So how can listeners um, help support Beavers Northwest and, um, what is the most significant resource that you need right now? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, Beavers Northwest is really small. We're a small nonprofit. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of opportunities to support. Um, we have, you know, we accept donations and we also have a really fun social media that when we update it is really great. So I highly recommend following us on social media and checking out our website and just kind of seeing the work that we do. Um, you know, like I mentioned, we've talked a lot about technical assistance, but we do a lot of outreach and education too. So there's a lot of opportunities to um, be engaged in that and see more. And then I would recommend that folks start logging sightings on iNaturalist. I was kind of shocked to see not many in Spokane, but I know y'all have more beavers. So um, highly recommend logging into iNaturalist and and showing off more beavers for us. Awesome. And I know we've already talked about it. So what's the website again? And then- Every and then it's Instagram and Facebook mostly, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So our website is just beaversnw.org and then we're beaversnw on Instagram and Facebook, Beavers Northwest. So check it out. Cool. Uh, I'm expecting lots of beaver photos. Yeah. Well, so here's the thing, right? Beavers are nocturnal. We don't see them very often. It's true. So it's more a lot of photos of trees and okay. mud and dams and all that fun stuff. Oh, they're so cute. <laughs> Have you came face to face with a beaver? Um, outside of like a trapping situation yeah so i've only seen beavers during the day while i've been working for beavers northwest twice oh wow 
And, um, but I've been out like for nature walks where we go out in the evenings and see them. And I have a pretty high success rate of seeing them in the evenings. Um, so yeah, I've had some good like beaver encounters and then I've helped the two Lalip tribes with a couple relocations. And that's when you get like really up close and personal with them. Um, but yeah, most of my work is like climbing into beaver ponds when they're asleep. So (laughs) luckily I don't run into them very often. (laughs) Um, well, we always finish the conversation with a, um, our what do you spitfire? Spitfire. Run. Run. I can never remember what it's called. Um, I think I change it every time. Are <laughs> this you is the part I'm nervous for? Are you game to do a couple of questions? Yeah, with yeah, us yeah. So we can learn Just a, give me some easy ones, so okay. we can learn a little bit more about you outside of you know all the all you know about beavers. All my beavery potential. Yeah, yeah. sure. I'm um, here. Okay, I'll start. What is one food you cannot live without? Cheese. That's it. Flat stop right there. Just cheese. Cheese. Any specific type? Favorites? Like, I really love all cheese. Well, that's not true. I don't love blue cheese. But mm-hmm. um, I'm really obsessed with the Beecher's cheddar right now. Costco has, like, a really big Beecher's cheddar block. It's mm-hmm. real good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to stop by there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite emoji? Oh. Or most used emoji. Well, honestly, there's a beaver emoji, which is like pretty new. And um, when my phone updated with it, I was like so stoked. <laughs> so it, it's definitely one I use a lot. Okay. That and hard eyes. <laughs> I love it. Um, what is your favorite uh, plant or flower? Oh my gosh, that's such a hard question. I'm a plant person. Why would you ask me that? <laughs> um, I really, I think right now I and really liking huckleberries. I've started planting some in my yard, some mm. evergreen huckleberry and red huckleberry, and I miss my Spokane Mountain huckleberries. So um, all, all manner of huckleberry. Mm. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, where would you travel? Um, I have a big goal of going to Peru. I've, it's been mm. put on hold and, you know, classic COVID story. So now that's like really where I just need to go. Cool. Any specific part or just? Uh, kind of all over. We, we had a trip planned to go everywhere. Okay. So, uh, you know, hoping to hit Machu Picchu and Cusco and maybe head into the jungle a little bit. Awesome. See some wild animals. Very cool. Are you a dog or a cat person? I am a solid cat person. Mm. And I would say that that's a realization I've come to fairly recently. I always wanted to be pretty like, oh, I love them both. But I'm pretty solidly a cat person. Dog smell, not for me. Do you, want to, do you want to plug your cat? <laughs> My cat is the perfect cat. His <laughs> name is Elon Meowsk, and I love him dearly. Um, I love it. Yeah, he's the best. That's awesome. Um, do you have any fears? Um, I really don't like feet. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. It's real. I'm going to tell Lincoln Ivy that. Yeah. <laughs> for, for some reason, kid feet don't bother oh, okay. me as much as adult feet, but definitely like don't stick them in my face. Yeah. Um, Hillary, do you mind if I end it? Yeah, no. Um, and the question we ask everyone, Beatles or Rolling Stones? I'm going to have to go with the Beatles. Woo! (laughs) (laughs) I always have to shout out for the Beatles. (laughs) Um, I have to shout out, Elisa's father, um, Mm -hmm. has the coolest piece of, uh, I I guess it's an art, art photograph. He has a original... Annie um, Leibovitz. Annie Leibovitz of um, John Lennon and, uh, and Yoko. And Yoko. Yeah, it's a very famous. Cool. It's a very famous photo, and it's an original, and it's and it's a big you know argument about who's getting it when he passes oh, yeah. away. Yeah, I can I, only imagine. I, I've got you know four other siblings, so we're all fighting <laughs> for it. But also, you know, that's probably part of why I love the Beatles, as obviously my dad does. So yeah, yeah we love that photo. Same um, too. Well, thank you so much for joining us on Rocks to Roots. This was a, a I've, when we started this podcast, I was like, I have to get Elisa on it someday. So it's finally happened and I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to, to be on this. I've been waiting us. for my call. Here I am. <laughs> so stoked. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. This is such a treat. Yay. Peace. Rocks to Roots is sponsored by the Office of Farmland Preservation. Office of Farmland Preservation is a program within the Washington State Conservation Commission that works to address the rapid loss of working farm and forest lands in our state. Together, the Washington State Conservation Commission and conservation districts provide voluntary, incentive-based programs that empower private landowners to implement conservation on their property. 
You can learn more about their programs and services by visiting their website, scc.wa.gov.